0: The reading is taken from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 18, which is on page 1012 of the Pew Bibles, page 1012, Mark 9, verses 2 to 18. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked round, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Welcome to you if this is your first time at HT, and welcome back if it's not your first time. It's lovely to be back. I've been away for a number of months. And uh, many times in my time away, uh, Liz and I have reflected on how much we wished we were here. And uh, if you're a preacher, and you're away from your pulpit for a long time, after quite a short time, you get preacher's itch. And you're kind of longing to let rip. And so um, expect a good one. (laughs) At least a long one. <laughs> <coughs> and there are all sorts of reasons for thinking hard about what to preach about today. Knowing that yesterday we marked a, a turning point in the life of Holy Trinity. We were celebrating the completion of Transform. And so it's only natural to think, well, what's it best to talk about just after that? And then I know, but you probably don't know, but I know that Monday is we celebrate remembering that it's Charles Simeon's birthday that's a kind of nerdy fact that I love about him and so it ought to be a good one for that reason but more than that really this church exists for the glory of God what can I preach about which will bring glory to the Lord and I want to preach this morning about what happens when we see Jesus so would you join me in prayer Father God, thank you for the chance to celebrate your presence together and to gather around you this morning. Thank you for the scriptures. Please, Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts to you afresh. Holy Spirit, come and reveal Jesus to us. Take the thoughts and the words I prepared and make them useful for you, is our prayer together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our reading is from Mark's Gospel, and you might have it before you. If you don't, it's worth turning to Mark chapter nine. And uh, for those people who come to Cambridge and they study theology, when Mark's Gospel is put in front of them, they're told, that scholars find there are a number of what you might call idiosyncrasies or tells about Mark's Gospel in particular. A number of things stand out when you read Mark through and through and through and through until you're able to distinguish what marks him out as being different from the other Gospels. And one of the things is there appears to be a number of observations in Mark's Gospel which he records which have the air about them of being an eyewitness account. He notices things, he certainly writes things which one's inclined to say, well, if you were just making this up or if you were just recollecting what a few other people said, you wouldn't necessarily include those. And my sermon today is on one such observation. Picture the scene that we had read to us about the transfiguration Jesus is up the mountainside and he's with three of his friends Peter James and John and we know that it was a most extraordinary encounter a deeply mysterious episode a close personal encounter with God the Father no doubt during which he's transfigured And turns whiter than white and Peter, James and John are bemused by what's going on. Jesus has a conversation about his departure and then he returns down the mountainside and he walks straight into a complete mess. The disciples, the remaining disciples, those who had been at the bottom of a mountain without Jesus, without their three leaders, Peter, James and John, are struggling, failing in fact, in the face of a peculiarly resistant demon in a young man, and the man's father is pleading for help. And most usually that's where our focus goes, on those two stories, the Transfiguration and the Horlicks in the Valley, if you like. But this morning we're not going to look at either of them particularly. We're going to look at this standout verse, which is so short it's easier to miss than to notice. In verse 13, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. And so the subtitle of this sermon is this, why our church buildings will soon be far too small again. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they did two things. They ran towards him. And they were full of wonder. Time and time again, this is the pattern of scripture. Think about it with me. The shepherds, the magi at Jesus' birth, Simeon, not Charles, but the one in Luke, and Anna, aged 85. I don't know if she was capable of running towards Jesus, but she made her way towards Jesus full of wonder. Think of people who encountered Jesus on happy occasions, the times when Jesus healed many, and they put their trust in him. Or the people that encountered Jesus on sad occasions, mourning at funerals, they saw Jesus and they were filled with wonder. People in deep trouble and scared witless, like the disciples in a storm. Again, Peter didn't exactly run to Jesus, but he walked on water, which is a pretty good effort. People who fell felt let down and perplexed Mary in the garden of Gethsemane two travelers on the road to Emmaus people in rebellion like Saul people evidently searching for God like Zacchaeus up a tree people who had been broken by what life had thrown at them or by bad choices that they'd made in life like the woman of Samaria at the well on her fifth husband or the thief being crucified alongside Jesus people who thought their lives were going pretty well actually and all was honky-dory like Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council or Simon Peter and Andrew who owned a fishing business whenever these people saw Jesus they were drawn to him well to be faithful to scripture and to our experience today not everyone runs towards Jesus when they see him. Some people will choose to run in the other direction. But there is always a reaction. I suppose when you stop to think about it. This crowd that we hear about and read about. Particularly this morning. I don't suppose they were a typical crowd. Because for a start they had to go out of their way. To get to the mountain that Jesus goes up. Now that might have, might have been Mount Tabor. It might have been Mount Hermon. No one's quite sure. But secondly, they had to be a patient and persistent crowd because they stayed at the foot of a mountain while Jesus was up it. They didn't just wander away. But when they saw Jesus, they ran towards him. The Son of God has the capacity to draw people to himself. The Son of God will always draw people to himself. It's in the nature of things It's always going to happen. It's it's like if I were to take something and just drop it. You'd be surprised, and so would I, if it did anything other than just hit the ground. Because we know that's the law of gravity. It happens. You can bank on it. And you can bank on it that if people can see Jesus, they they will change. They will change. I love it that in the list of people that I just referenced, you can read it forward, sideways, backwards, upside down, however you read it, and you ask yourself, what do they have in common? And the answer is nothing. You can't predict who it is that will turn to Jesus. There is no such thing as a religious type. All the students coming to Cambridge in the next few weeks, all the grown-ups coming to Cambridge, you can't predict, I can't predict what the reaction will be when they come and encounter Jesus Christ. Many is the person who has tried to put off this kind of inquiry saying, I'm not the religious sort, you won't find me in church. Well, a lot of us have had to eat our words after we've seen Jesus Christ. And not only can I not discern anything in common that would predispose these people in their personality or their chemistry or their DNA, there isn't any particular common denominator about their situation either. We can't tell whether it's when life is going well or whether it's challenging that people will turn to Christ. All I know is when people see Jesus as he really is, they will get drawn towards him. And I wanted to make that something that we really notice today. Because I want us to have confidence as God's family here that God is not a thing of a past, that is a kind of blast from the past that's long gone and out of date and rather irrelevant for people who like that kind of thing. Not a bit. (laughs) He's alive and well and still drawing people to himself. And he will do in Cambridge and wherever you are. Now, I'm assuming that for the majority of us in this church this morning, you know this. And probably at this point, you're thinking, fair enough, you know, we believe it too. And we fully intend to bear witness to Jesus to the people we meet. And we fully prayerfully hope this is gonna happen, that God will draw people to himself. You're encouraging us, Rupert, to look outwards. We get it. We're on board, point taken. Good. Here's the second point. Don't just look outwards to be encouraged. Look inwards. And ask yourself this question. When did you last look at Jesus? And see him? And run towards him? And when were you last filled with wonder? Because this, as I understand it, is not to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Something that we hark back to in days of old. It's a recurrent experience, every time we see him afresh, we run towards him. What is it that makes you run towards him today? You know, I've been reflecting on this and I consider that actually over time, in each of our lives, our reasons will change. Our perceptions of Jesus will change. What it is that we find most desirable, most attractive, most assists us in our worship will change. It's not that the things that I believed in when I first turned to Christ some 30 years ago were wrong. It's not that I was too young to know better. It's just that one of the lovely things about Christianity and following Christ is you grow into it. You don't grow out of it you come to appreciate more and more of the many facets that are found in Jesus Christ. I make no secret of the fact, and you'll hear me say it again and again, that one of the things that first drew me to Jesus Christ was the cross. His enormous love for us upon the cross. I still believe that. I'm still thrilled by it. I still feel God says to each of us, I love you this much. And I want everyone to know that definitely but it's not just that God loves us on the cross that thrills me I think you know it's it's so acceptable to talk about the love of God because it feels it sounds like a kind of cozy blanket that you can pull over yourself when you're cold you know the beginning of the Uh, energetic sermon at a royal wedding was all about the love of God well of course it's great to know about the love of God but I also need to know about the forgiveness of God the forgiveness of God which is a very large part of the gospel message and actually without understanding how much I've been forgiven I will never understand how much God loves me and of course it gets slightly more painful and slightly more difficult for me to talk to you about how much God has forgiven me because it involves me having to say to you I needed being forgiven. And should I let the cat out of the bag? You need to be forgiven as well. Not just Simon I pointed to, but every single one of us. Every single... Forgive me, Simon. <laughs> if you don't think you need forgiving, stand up and I'll point at you. (laughs) We all need forgiving. Have you ever been cut dead? If you've ever been cut dead by someone, that's to say, you know, suppose that I introduce you to someone today by name and then tomorrow you bump into them in the street and you just pretend you've never met. You will know that makes you smart, makes you cross, angry. It doesn't feel good to be cut dead. Well, friends, every single one of us has cut God dead. Not just during the times when we didn't know him, but even in the times when we do know him. Here's here's a way of illustrating that you and I have cut God dead, probably in the last week. The moments when you choose not to trust him, you've cut God dead. You've just said, no, I'm not believing you for this. I, you might as well not exist. Well, the way to restore relationship is to ask for forgiveness. And God died on the cross to forgive us. And I marvel at that, and I want to run towards him and say, well, thank you, Lord, that you have forgiveness for me. Thank you, Lord. And the scripture is incredibly clear about this and so helpful. It says, you know, people have died for their friends. That's not particularly unique. But Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. And that is unique. He laid down his life for us when we were in rebellion, when we were sinners, when we were cutting him dead. And as I think about that, A sense of wonder is rekindled, and it gives me confidence, confidence that I can run to him today. Here's a second area where my admiration and worship of Jesus is kindled afresh. My wonder and worship of him grows as I think about him in situations in which he's broken, broken down physically, mentally, and under extreme pressure. It's not difficult to imagine crowds running to Jesus when he's the miracle worker, when things are going so well, when he's turning water into wine, when he is stilling storms, when everything seems so good. But have you noticed how amazing Jesus is when things are falling apart left, right, and center? Have you noticed his amazing patience, kindness, and ability to look outwards as his life is crumbling? Do you remember that on the way to Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to suffer, where he knew exactly what was going to happen, he told the disciples about it. Do you remember that he stopped because he heard blind Bartimaeus crying out and he had kindness and gentleness for him? Do you remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, even when the rabble came to arrest him and were in the process of arresting him, when Simon Peter cut off the ear of Malchus the thug, Jesus healed him. What kind of a person does that? Do you remember how Jesus reacts when his closest friend, Simon Peter, is so puffed up and conceited And over self-confident. And Jesus calls him aside and says, I need to tell you what's going to break you, Simon. You're going to prove yourself totally faithless. But I've prayed for you. I'm for you. And when you recover, strengthen your brothers. I marvel. Don't you marvel at the kindness of Jesus. The grace of Jesus that shines in that brokenness. And it makes me so grateful because it makes me believe, or easier for me to believe, when my life is not so great in this world, when I have screwed up, when I am making a hash of things, even then I can run towards Christ and wonder. And then there's a third area that I'm increasingly grateful for and I spend a lot of time thinking about. I'm grateful for the risen Jesus. When I think of Jesus, the conqueror of the grave, I'm filled with wonder and I want to run towards him. I'm gonna talk some more about this on Tuesday night when we have Growing Together. But let me just say this morning, the reason I'm so excited about this, one of the reasons, I like to put it like this. Suppose I meet you and you're a brain surgeon and you're regularly operating on the most fragile intricate territory of the human body successfully well if you were that person i would trust you easily to remove a splinter because you'd have it in your capacity if you can do the hard thing you can do the easier thing okay i wasn't sure you connect with that so i'll try another one suppose you're a doctor you have a doctorate in mathematics Suppose you're a quantum theorist. Well, I would trust you with my five-year-old's homework if I had one, because I believe you'd be able to do it. You're going from the most difficult to the easiest thing. Suppose you climbed Mount Everest in the last week, and you come to Cambridge. I would trust you to walk up to the top floor of the Charles Simeon Centre. This is just logical. It's just logical. If you can handle the very hardest thing, then the, the easier things you can be trusted with. And I believe in taking on death itself, Jesus is tackling the very hardest thing. I can think of nothing harder, can you, than overcoming death. And we know that his death, we know that his death, you don't need reminding, was not a comfortable death, that he was smashed to pieces and thorns were crushed into his skull. It was excruciating. It was public. And he was very dead when he was taken down from the cross. There is no doubt about it. But three days later, he rose again from the dead. Now, if he can do that, what is there that we can't trust him with? An anecdotal story is told about three people in France who were having a conversation about whether they could start a religion that would be popular and maybe spread around the world. And they decided that was a good game to play. Let's go to our different homes, meet up in a week's time and discuss what our best religion could be. And two of them got into a heated discussion and the third chap was pretty quiet. And after a while, they asked him, well, why are you so quiet about this? And he said, well, I've been thinking about this. How about one of us dies and three days later is raised from the dead. Do you think that could catch on? Well, of course, it's such a big ask, isn't it? It, It's it's such an outlandish thing for God to do, but God did it. God did it. And he did it for your comfort and for my comfort, so that we might, when we see him, be full of wonder and run towards him. No wonder that those who meet the risen Lord were filled with wonder and run towards him. Mary in the garden, the disciples in the upper room, even Thomas, so reluctant and skeptical, is satisfied at last. And I like to think that on my death, I too, when I see Jesus resurrected, will be filled with wonder and run towards him. And that's how I picture my Christian friends who have died, what they will have done. So as I move to the closing point, it's this. It's a question, really. What will bring us in sight of Jesus? What would bring you and me more in sight of Jesus? And what can we do to help people catch a sight of him? And this is a terribly short section of the talk. Because I don't think I'm going to say anything that you haven't heard before. It's so disappointing, I'm afraid, my friends. It's so disappointing that the way that we fall from seeing Jesus is so pedestrian. It's so average. It's just what happens when you don't tend to your faith well. If you leave a garden untended, weeds spring up. No one has to go and plant them. It's just what happens. You return to it and it's like a fallow field. It's a mess. If you don't believe me, Come and see my garden. (laughs) If you run yourself a wonderful hot bath, whether you're in it or not in it, and you just leave it, it will go cold. It doesn't take any effort. It's what happens. It's in the nature of things. It's a bit like in your home, in your study room. If you don't clean up, I don't know how, the miracle of clutter will just happen and dirt just comes and mess will happen. And, This is bad news when it comes to our faith and walking with Jesus because without care, the default position is decay and distancing. None of us have to try. That is what happens. Without trying to keep close to Jesus, he will become a distant figure. And I'm sure there are many of us in in this building. I think I'm probably in there too. Where if I set an enormous challenge to say, if you do this, you'll rediscover, you'll reconnect with Jesus, you know, go and climb Mount Everest, for goodness sake, we'd say, right, I'm on the trek. But when I say to you something like, make sure you have a quiet time, you're thinking, boring, heard that before. Oh, I knew it would come back to this. Well, it does. Jesus primarily reveals himself in the scriptures through the Spirit. So if we cut ourselves off from the scriptures, decay is going to happen. Jesus primarily and principally builds up our faith through one another. Through the fellowship of sharing with other people who know Jesus and who are walking close to him. So if you have not yet joined a small group, you are definitely making life harder for yourself. This is God's provision for us. You are here worshipping the Lord on Sunday. So, you know, I don't have to tell you about that one. But it's a key part of what it means to keep Jesus in sight. There are very, very simple things that we have to do to fan into flame the life that should be within us. You'll notice this morning, I made sure that we have a space cleared here on the right to make prayer ministry easy to happen because it's a priority for us that we will pray for one another in this church. We will ask the Holy Spirit to help one another. It's part of what God has given us as his provision. And don't worry, there's still some room in the balcony and we can still make other space. But it's important we do these very, very simple things to keep our faith alive. And if we'll do these things, we will get closer to Jesus. And I want to remind us this little point because I think it's so encouraging. Just as Jesus' love shone really brightly when he was under pressure, so extraordinarily, the love of God will shine really brightly in you and I just at the times when we would have thought we were at our most broken. Just at the times when we know we are cracked, the light will shine out. People are not all that interested in your successes. But people are remarkably interested in how we persevere under pressure, under so called failure, when things are not as we wish them to be. It just so happened that as I was having my breakfast early this morning, I was listening to Radio 4, and they have a religious program, and they were zeroing in on something that was going on. I've forgotten, I think it could be Blackpool. And they were interviewing a number of people. What do you think about Franklin Graham coming over to talk in Blackpool? And there were all sorts of uh, quite interesting ideas of what people thought about him coming. But by far the most compelling was a young man who, who said, I used to be a heroin addict. My life was completely messed up. I didn't know where I was coming or going and I met Jesus Christ. And as far as I'm concerned, Anyone who brings people to know Jesus Christ, I'm all for it. And, you know, life spoke through that guy's testimony. Hope came into the room with that guy's testimony. He was speaking about a God who helps when life is falling apart. And we have a God who helps when life is falling apart. Every single one of us. I was thinking, if we could gather together all the people that I reference at the very start of this talk. If we could get Nicodemus and Peter and Andrew and Zacchaeus and the thief on the cross and Mary who met Jesus in the garden and the crowds who Jesus healed and the woman at Samaria and we could sit them down and say, please tell me how Jesus drew you to himself. Please tell me how your life was changed. Please tell me why you love him and why you wonder at him. A conversation would start that would never finish. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. That when we get in sight of you, we want to run to you. When we get to understand you and feel you and trust you, we have confidence in you And wonder rises. Please, Lord, draw us to yourself afresh. Both individually and as a church, we want the confidence to talk about you. We want to see what would happen to Cambridge, to our colleges, to our friends, to our families. If only they could see you as you really are. Lord, you commissioned us to go and tell the good news and we want to be the good news and to speak it out. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.